Hey everyone, this is Jim, and you're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Okay, welcome back. Uh, this is Jim. For more information about me or this topic, you can visit the main website at www.faithtestedbyfire.com and read the articles there or join the mailing list. Today I want to talk about a topic that I'm going to entitle, Why You Don't Have to Understand How Everything Works. Um, this, this topic I think is uh, very important and I really wanted to focus on this today because uh, people need to know, they feel the need to know how everything works. When something is an unknown quantity, something is unknown, there's a lot of unrest surrounding um, that particular thing. For example, you know, there's some people think that there's great conspiracies that are going on uh, behind the scenes that could cause um, sudden destruction to come upon this country and other countries. And the fact that they don't know, but it might be there, is something that they find really troubling. Um, Jesus always told his disciples not to fear, not to fear anything, not to fear those who could kill the body but couldn't destroy the soul, uh, not to fear evil, or not to fear evil coming upon you suddenly. Actually, the Bible says that God will keep you free from the fear of evil. So when we're in a situation and we don't have control, whether that control is knowledge of what's actually happening or whether that control is we know what's happening but we don't have a solution for it, the, um, we, we tend to look at things mechanically and then we insert ourselves into that particular situation. And when things just don't equal out at the end or they just don't add up, then we become afraid. And let's really look at it for what it is. Um, people fear loss, and they fear it on every level. So um, whether it's loss of income or loss of health or loss of a, of a loved one, uh, whether it be um, physical death or them no longer being a part of your uh, daily life or anything in between that, um, we, we fear because loss brings a lack of control. So the Bible says that throughout their lifetimes in the past, men have been kept in bondage through the fear of death because death is the ultimate loss and we really can't see what's on the other side. Yeah, we have uh, the Bible describes what's on the other side and you can go online and read stories about people who have um, died near-death experiences and have seen things on the other side. But deep down on the inside, you don't know whether those people are telling the truth or whether they're just saying that so they can have 15 minutes of fame or whether they're going to sell a book. Matter of fact, there was a um, very popular book out. There were two of them by young people who had uh, had those types of experiences. 
And one was on the bookshelf. I can't remember the name of it, but on the front it had a boy in a wheelchair. And he was still in a wheelchair after the book, after this accident. And he wrote about his experience in heaven. And as it turned out, three years later, all the books were pulled from the shelf because the father and the boy actually admitted that that experience had never happened. They just made it up because people enjoy hearing those kind of stories. So you can't put your faith, and you know that in what some people have said, but you can put your faith in God's word. You can put your faith in in the Gospels. And you can put your faith in the fact that God loves you and that if you have God's spirit in you, you have that inner witness that you belong to him. But as we move into situations in life where we feel like we don't have the control that we wish we had or that maybe we imagine we had, we find yourself, you can find yourself in a situation where you don't really know what to do next and that's just not all right with you. The, the fact that you don't know what to do brings you great unrest. When I say you don't know what to do, maybe you've prayed and maybe you made a choice to trust God, but the fact that outwardly in the visible world around you, there's nothing that you can really do and you are totally relying on God, uh, you wrestle with fear. You wrestle with fear because you don't know what outward circumstances may bring tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that. So I want to encourage you. um, Let's look at the book of Romans, or excuse me, let's start with Mark chapter 4. And this is the parable of the seed. I'm reading this from the, and the sower. I'm reading this from the American King James Version, which is basically the same as the King James without the theirs and the these and the thous in it. And, uh, okay, starting in verse number three, it says, Listen, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where there was not much earth. Immediately it sprung up because it had no uh, depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He that has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of this parable. And he said to them, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Okay, so let's move forward a little bit. Verse 13, it says, And he said to them, Know you not this parable, and how then will you know all parables? Okay, so this is the more this is the foundation parable of everything. That's what he's saying. If you don't understand this, nothing else is really going to make sense. He said, and these are they, verse 15, that are by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Moving down a little further. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. So maybe you found yourself in that situation. Uh, or maybe even the first. Maybe you heard something that God wants to bless you, that God doesn't want to curse you, 
that God wants to help you, that God wants you to pray and believe that all things are possible to them who believe, and you receive it, but then suddenly reality of what you can see, hear, touch, taste, smell, all those things hit you, and the Bible promises seem like they are just afar off. Or maybe you find yourself in a certain circumstance, like the second one, where you hear it and you believe it, but you only endure for a while. Because it says, afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So I was talking to some family members the other day, and they were suffering from some physical problems. And I understand because I've had physical problems just like everybody else has from time to time. And I've prayed and I've seen immediate results and immediate relief. And some were just amazing situations. But other times, there wasn't an immediate result. And that led to confusion because I I didn't understand why, because I did the same things that I'd done the time before, but got a completely different result. So if that's you, this is especially for you today. So two things arise, it says here, affliction or persecution for the word's sake. So if Satan comes immediately to take the word away from your heart, if you can't get it that way, we say Satan, we're talking about evil forces that are at work in the unseen realm. So afflictions and persecutions are also inspired or the, the evil that comes in the 15th verse is the same evil that comes back in the 17th verse. It just tries a different way to get in and choke the word out. Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I'd like to say that some of us haven't been there, but the truth is we all have. The cares of this world. So when you begin to calculate in your mind what you need to do to get from here to there, and it just doesn't add up, then worry begins to set in. And worry leads, worry is kind of like the fear in infant form right? And as it grows, it it sprouts into worry. And then worry chokes out the word because worry, fear, all those things are the opposite of faith because faith has rest. Faith has belief. Faith has hope. Faith can see the answer. Whereas worry and fear, they can see defeat, right? They see loss. They see everything unraveling. So, The cares of this world are something that we all have to fight against. That's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight because the cares of this world will come and try to enter in. Another thing is the deceitfulness of riches, it says, because you think that if you just had some more money, everything would be solved. If you just had some more money, you could get your roof fixed on your house, or you could get rid of that old clunker that keeps breaking down. Or you'd be happy because you could live in a better place. But you see, riches um, solve a certain type of problem, but they don't solve the problem of the, of the evil that was mentioned in the 15th verse. In other words, Satan comes against those who choose to believe God. Satan's against everybody. That's just the way it is. But for those who are saved, for those who believe... He comes against you, not, he knows that he can't keep you, um, he can't separate you from the love of God anymore, because nothing can separate you from the love of God.
but it can separate you from the blessings of God if he can get you to become afraid and worry. If he can deceive you, he can make your earthly experience miserable till you get to the point where you become jaded. You don't want to be involved in other people's lives anymore. You don't want to help. You just want to serve your time, so to speak, and you look forward to the next heavenly world. But you see, it's just like the Bible says, you know, you are a light. We're lights in this world. And just like you, I get tired sometimes and I think, you know what? It doesn't matter that my light shines because so few people see it or so few people care that it's really not making a big difference. But that's just the way man thinks. Because remember, God is willing to leave the 99 sheep to find the one. And it says in the Bible that he rejoices more over the one that's found than over the 99 that haven't been lost. So even if your life is shining to that one in 99 people that you're connected with, and it does something for them, that's of infinite value to God. Because that person matters to God more than you could possibly understand in this lifetime. So the deceitfulness of riches is that if you would just have some more money, all your problems would go away. But money doesn't make the devil go away. He just changes his plan and he attacks through different means. But the attacks here won't end because, as the Bible says, through much tribulation, whether it's outward or whether it's inward, whether it's mental, but through tribulation we enter the kingdom of God because there are enemies here in this earth. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's the lust of other things entering in. So we've got the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. Uh, You know, it's Lust is an interesting thing because some people just put it over to to sexual things, but lust exists on many different levels. For example, have you ever wanted something so badly? It really didn't even make sense why you wanted it that bad. Um, I remember ordering certain things online. I just couldn't wait to get them. But when I got them, I didn't even really use what I bought for a while. It was just the desire to have it was 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 great. It was like the lust of other things entering in. Where you think about something. Maybe it's a um you know, I well I don't even want to get into it because everybody has different things that appeal to them. And again, I'm not even talking not even bringing up sex here. I'm just bringing up natural things that you really want. Thinking, boy, you'll be so happy when you get that, but the ha- the happiness is so short-lived. Then it just becomes another thing that you have, right? I mean, it's like the difference between eating food and chewing gum. You know, chewing gum and you get the sugar immediately, but then you're just left with the piece of gum afterward and it's nothing big. It doesn't have any flavor anymore. That's what the lust of other things are. You get the immediate hit, the immediate satisfaction of it, but the satisfaction is so short-lived uh, and, and you live for the rush, basically, from one thing to the next. So then finally in the 20th verse, it says, These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30, 60, and some 100. So as you continue to scroll down and look at this parable, he goes on to say about the kingdom of God, because if you believe in Jesus and you've received him into your heart, 
and you're part of God's family. You've been forgiven of, of your sins and the blessing, you have access to the blessings of God, the provisions of God. And please understand when I talk about blessings, sometimes people just think um, natural things like, um, you know, the uh, just financial prosperity, especially if you live here in America. But if you've been alive for a while that you understand that there's other things that you can't buy that God can give you that are incredible, like good health freedom from pain, uh, peace of mind, peace of heart, you know, all of those things you, you just can't buy, good relationships with people that actually care about you. So um, verse 26, I'm going to read this. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed on the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring up and grow he knows not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. So this is like how the kingdom of God works that, and he goes on to give other illustrations of a seed and how it grows and how it brings forth uh, good things. And so you have to realize that you don't have to understand how all these principles of God work in order for them to work in your life. For example, if you pray for something, and I know a lot of people that have done this, especially in uh, recent times when books about prayer are very popular and videos and things like that, they teach step one, step two, step three. I'm not against teaching in steps or even looking at a formula, so to speak, because if you look at something, how something was done, and how somebody overcame something that was terrible, you can understand the principles. But if you try and mimic those steps, usually people come out very disappointed because they didn't have the same experience that somebody else had. And so what they do is they go from one testimony to the other, trying to walk in somebody else's experience, and it never never quite works out the way they thought. And the reason for that is, is that God wants you to trust him, come to him, believe in him, seek him for yourself. He doesn't want you to imitate another brother or another sister or somebody that you really admire who's had experiences that were maybe more spectacular or more spiritual than what you've experienced so far. And I, I went through that. I went through that starting back in the 1980s when I prayed the first time and was trusting God for something supernatural to happen. I heard a testimony. I went point by point by what that person did. And 90 days later, I got the same result that they did. And so for the next time, I duplicated the same process. It didn't quite work as well as it did the first time, but I still received the answer that I was after. And then after that, it seemed like that formula no longer worked at all. And that from that time forward, every situation was unique and my approach to it and how God led me was unique. Nothing followed that pattern after that again. And it was tough because Jesus said, don't lean onto your own understanding. Well, he could have just said, this is exactly how prayer works. And if you understand it, <clears throat> then you don't have to worry about receiving anything else ever again in your lifetime. Just follow these steps. 
but instead he told many different parables dealing with many different things. Sometimes he dealt with unforgiveness and how that can hinder you, or sometimes he dealt with doubt and unbelief. Sometimes there were spirit beings that did it. Sometimes he said you could pray with somebody else and agree. Sometimes you go to the elders of the church. But here's the thing. We don't approach the Bible like it's a chemistry book, where if you mix everything up just right according to these verses, then you get that. Although that can follow that pattern sometimes more often than not, it's the principles because what you have in you isn't just words. God gives you his spirit so that he can communicate with you in particular and what you need to do in your circumstances. So as you read the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, certain scriptures may come alive to you that didn't come alive to you in the past. And your faith is anchored in those specific promises. Other times, you don't see an exact promise, like the Bible doesn't tell you where to live, or the Bible doesn't tell you um, what type of um, suit you should buy, or which job to take. But it does give you the principles where you can be led in the way that you should go. So it's not just an old crusty book. It's a dynamic spiritual force in which you have a direct line, a direct connection to the writer of the book. That's God, the Holy Spirit. You are what the Bible says in Christ as a believer, seated with him in heavenly places. So you don't need a formula. All you need is to know what God's will is as revealed in the Bible and your own personal connection with the source of all life, your own personal connection to the name of Jesus, right? <clears throat> That's what you need. You don't need to follow like a cake recipe every time something goes wrong. And although experiences of the past give you hope, and that's a good thing, you don't have to repeat everything in a mechanical process. You know, I, I don't want to say that there's, you know, something wrong with starting out and doing something a certain way. Um, for example, you know, you'll hear some people pray using the blood of Jesus in their prayer time, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that doesn't work, meaning produce the result that you think it would have or that it should have, then don't be discouraged and don't be locked into that because you have multiple truths in the Bible. You have the name of Jesus. You have the promises of God. You have praying in the Spirit. <clears throat> and above all, you have persistent faith. Jesus wouldn't have told his disciples in Luke 18.1 that men should always pray and not faint and give up if there would never be reasons to faint and give up. He said that anticipating that in life, people are going to go through some tough times and they're not going to see the answer immediately. So instead of wondering, well, maybe God doesn't love me as much as he loves somebody else, or maybe there are certain sins in my life that are keeping the power of God, rather than go back through all of these formulas and all these particular reasons why things aren't working, why not instead do what Jesus said and not give up and be persistent and know that if there is something in your life, God's not just going to show it to you, but he's going to give you the power to overcome that thing so that you can have the complete victory. 
You know, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I'm going to end with this. Um, I think it was chap- about chapter 15. You know, he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Without me, you can't do anything. Actually, let me let me see if I can pull that up quickly here. Um, John chapter 15. Um, right, he said, abide in me. I mean, it takes effort, just like it does to be persistent. That's John 15, 4. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He that stays in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And that includes understanding what to do next. Uh, Without him, you cannot have that inspiration of faith. Without him, you can't have the hope. So the good news is we aren't without him. And that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And that God watches over his word, the Bible says, to perform it. So thanks for listening today. Uh, This is Friday, September 23rd. I hope you have a great weekend. Be blessed, be at peace, and I will see you the next time. Again, for more information, feel free to visit the main website, www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Thanks for listening.